impossible things. How about our drummer this morning? Is that precious or what, Dylan? Amen. I heard this song a couple weeks ago. My wife had been talking about it for several weeks before that. and I love the words. And uh, because we do have a God that is all about impossible things. Me kind of wanting to get some feedback this last week from my bride. One morning we were having coffee at the kitchen table. And uh, I was excited about kind of what God had put upon my heart to preach. And so I said, I'm going to get some good feedback here. And I said, uh, Amy, if you think about all the impossible stories in the Bible... Which one do you think kind of floats to the top? She thought there for a second, and uh, she said, well, there's so many. And then she starts listing them off. She says, well, how about Jacob that was sold into slavery and became the second highest person in Egypt? And she, say what? Joseph, I'm sorry. Whose name did I say? Jacob. I was thinking about, boy, Brother Jacob over here. <laughs> no. Um, See, there you go. Joshua. How about that? How about Daniel? She's listing all these names off. And uh, she did not list Jacob, though, that morning. But uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the impossible stories. How about Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Into the New Testament, Peter took an old fisherman and made him a mighty man of valor to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul on that Damascus road. Couldn't have been any more of an arch enemy of Christ than Paul, but he came face to face on that Damascus road. Jesus Christ. She listed numerous characters from the Bible, numerous stories from the Bible, Jonah, and uh, never got around to the one I was thinking about. But if you think about it, the Bible is filled with impossible stories. And then we began talking a little bit about our own life. How about impossible stories in our life? And over and over again, she could repeat things and mention things that we'd seen God move in a great way. As you ponder the thought this morning about impossible things, think about some of the things in your life where you've seen God show up. It looked like all things were impossible. It looked like there was no future here. I, I, I don't know how this is going to end up. And yet you just trusted God. And he showed up. The story I was thinking about, and I happened to read it about two weeks ago in my quiet time, and I've been begging God to give me his word that I might share in such a way it was to be an encouragement to us in our church here that we'd all realize that the mission has not changed for our church. Do things change over a period of time? Absolutely. Do things transition through time? Absolutely. But that God would give each one of us a word that would speak to us personally in how we might see the future, how we might see what God intends for us to be about. And I want you to know this morning, it has not changed since day one of this church. But sometimes we need to kind of rethink it. Sometimes we need to kind of move on and look through these things. And so I picked the scripture as I was reading in my quiet time two weeks ago, almost to the day. Now I want to talk again about the story you've heard over and over, the story of God parting the Red Sea. You know that story? It is probably, and I was sure she was going to mention that morning, but she didn't. But I was, I was 
pondering the thought of there's two significant things in that story that I want to talk about this morning. You know the story. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to begin with the 13th verse. Exodus 14, verse 13. As you find your way this morning to Exodus 14, beginning with 13th verse, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Beginning at verse 13, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. You know what God was telling to Moses and Moses was telling the people? He says, Just watch what God's going to do. Just stop for one second in your business of life and watch what God wants to do. For the Egyptians who we've seen today, you shall see again no more. The setting for the story, they'd come out of Egypt. They were going across the desert. I want you to know they didn't take the most direct route. God put them on a route. He, you know, he put it on Moses' mind. You don't want to go directly north because of the Philistines. You don't want to get entangled with the Philistines. So he said, okay. So he goes a different way, a longer way, which ends up against the Red Sea. The Egyptians then pursue him. Pharaoh changes his mind about letting the Israelites go and chases after him. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and, he shall sh- and, and, and shall hold your peace. And you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry for me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land to the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They shall follow them. So I will gain honor over the Pharaoh and all, over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over the pharaohs and the, ch- and the chariots and the horsemen, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went before them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood between them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, speak to each one of our hearts today. Father, beginning with the pastor here. Father, that we might leave this place and just a little bit change yet again, Father, because we hear your word, Father, and we desire to walk in a greater way with you. Father, we thank you now once again for all these things. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. The situation for the Israelites was impossible. It really was. As they looked with their human eyes, they realized we're backed up against the sea. And they also realized we got the whole Egyptian army coming at us. We're between a rock and a hard place. All of our options appear to be gone. We're up a creek without a paddle. We're between a rock and a hard place. Have you ever been in one of those places before? Between a rock and a hard place? Impossible situations. They come in all shapes and all sizes. Maybe some of these you've dealt with before. Financial situations. Relational situations. Medical situations. Emotional situations, maybe spiritual situations. I'm having a crisis right now in my belief. I'm having a crisis right now in what I truly believe about God. I don't know what it was or what it is currently. Maybe you're going through it today. But typically there's one common denominator about impossible situations. 
that common denominator, I can't fix it. As much as I want, as much as I've tried, as much as I've prayed about, I can't fix it. As a pastor through the years, I've walked with people through their hurts. I've walked with people through their pains. I've walked with people through their disappointments. Sometimes I've walked through times with people where they feel absolutely hopeless. They just don't realize that there's something more to life. They don't realize that their life is not over yet. Maybe they've told me, I've tried everything. I've tried everything to figure out how to get through this situation. There just seems to be no way out. I've heard it said before, too, is this truly all there is to life? I've been hurt. I've been beat up. I've been brutalized so many years. I can't believe there's something else to life out there, but I just don't know if there is or not. Is there anything else out there? As I've listened to people share these thoughts, you know, I realize that comes from a very deep point, a very deep part of their life. There's something going on inside that person that they just can't seem to wrap their heart around. They're struggling immensely with that. They think that, you know, I don't know if it's so bad right now that maybe I've forfeited God's destiny for my life. I don't know if these things I've been involved in or things that have happened to me have put me in a situation where God just wants nothing to do with me more. Well, we all know that's not true. We all know that it's never too late for God. We know that God, that with Him, that nothing is impossible. God walks with us every step of the journey. I know those of you in the room here, many of you, have ever watched a football game, you realize that in a football game there's a halftime. There's the first two quarters and it's halftime. And what's that halftime for? Well, sometimes for rest. Many of you need it by then. But usually that halftime is a time of assessment. It's a time to kind of regroup. It's a kind of time to reevaluate the progress of the game and, and decide, hey, we didn't have a very good first half, but you know the game's not over. The clock still has time on it. The first half is important, but listen, the second half is even more important because that's going to lead in to the ultimate finishing. Many of you in the room here also probably watched the 2017 Super Bowl. Patriots and the Falcons. If you remember that game, the Patriots looked like they didn't show up that morning. The Falcons were leading by 25 points at the end of that first half. You know what the commentators were saying? Nobody's ever come back from that kind of deficit. Not in the history of the Super Bowl. Nobody's ever come back from that far down. It's impossible. They can't do it over and over. Well, you know what happened? The Patriots went into that halftime, rested, reassessed, refigured out. Okay, they came out of that. They could have come out of that tunnel two ways into the second half. There's no way we can make this today. We're not, we're not going to do any better. We can't. You know, these guys are just too good for us today. They didn't come out like that, did they? They came out with a purpose. They came out with a focus on what their purpose was. They came out with an idea that, hey, we can still win this game. The game's not over. There's still time on the clock. I want you to know that the same thing is true in life, very true in life. The same thing is true in churches. The same thing is true in each one of our individual lives, that the game is not over until God takes us home someday. I've seen so many people in their later years of life come to really understand who Jesus Christ is and realize, man, I wish I'd known this earlier, but I know it now, so I'm going to serve him with all I have. Make more of a difference in their last couple of years here on this earth, the last five or ten years of their life, 
than they would have made their whole life if they'd done it because they were focused like never before. One of my pastor friends told me today, this kind of brought joy to my heart. He said, I was listening to this sermon, this very profound intellectual pastor preaching. And he says, you know what the most important definitive years of your life are? The one with the years that you can make the greatest difference in this world? But most of you guys in this room could be excited about this as well. You know, a lot of people answer, well, maybe when you're 30 because you're young and out of college and you're ready to go and a lot of energy. He said, no. He says, your most productive years, the years that you can make the greatest difference in this world is between the ages of 60 and 80. Guess what? I'm excited about that. Yeah. Why is that, though? I think it's because we realize more about life. We realize what's important in life. We realize all the things we've learned all these years and realize, man, I can apply these things to this world. I can actually use some of the wisdom I picked up along the road here and apply it to my life and apply it maybe to other people's lives, but most of all, apply it to God's Word. I've learned these things through experience. Many times, the school of hard knocks. I've learned things because, man, I've been through hard times, but, man, I taught those things. I've said for years, you know my story, I learned as much going out of business a number of years ago as I did ever going into business. I mean, I learned mostly about myself. A lot of times we realize these things. The game is not over. It's not too late for God to lead you and I into glorious times, both personally but also corporately as a church. God has an incredible plan. I want you to think for just a moment the world's greatest comeback. Jesus Christ walked up Calvary's hill. He told his disciples, hey, nobody takes my life. I'm laying it down, but I'll take it back up again. They nailed our Savior to a cross. They hung him there on that cross for a few hours, and he died. They buried him in that borrowed tomb, but what happened on that third day? The devil was sure he had finally won. The devil had been trying to kill Jesus his whole life. But on that third day, the grave could not hold the king, and he rose from the grave victorious. Why did he do that? So you and I can, too, have victory in our lives. That the grave no longer represents the end for you and I. It's a bend in the road. It's just the beginning. That sin does not have, need to have dominion in our life. That we don't need to worry about death or the grave. God has given you, because of Jesus Christ, the greatest comeback the world has ever seen. They say the Super Bowl victory this last year was the greatest Super Bowl victory. This greatest Super Bowl comeback. That's nothing. Jesus Christ is the greatest comeback the world has ever seen. And those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ in this room today realize that we have victory because of that. We don't need to walk around, even when we're going through hard times, defeated. Why? Because God has given you and I victory. I want to look at two things that I said here in the text this morning. If you have your Bible still open to Exodus 14, look at verse 15. God had told Moses in verses 13 and 14, Listen, I'm going to fight for you. Listen, I'm going to take care of everything. He says, Moses said, uh, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Moses was crying out. What's going on here? God, this is the first thing I want you to see, the last two words in verse 15. He says, tell the children of Israel to go forward. Go forward. If you were to ask God's will for your life today, if you were to ask God's will for this church today, I believe from the bottom of his heart, you know what he'd say? Go forward. Go forward. And I'm focusing more on us individually, the pastor and you individually, than I am the church. But he's saying, go forward. Move forward. You know, looking up the word study and the word forward there. 
It comes from the idea of advancement or progress, but the original text specifically means pull up the tent stakes. Pull up the tent stakes. It's going forward. You know what it says? It says, break camp, pull up your tent stakes, pack it up. We're breaking camp. We're moving out. You know what God's saying here to the Israelites? He's saying, you've camped here long enough. It's time to move forward. It's time to go forward. It's time to break the camp and move forward. God never called you and I to be stationary. Christianity is not a noun. I've told you that. It's a verb. Going forward is also an action verb. Forward movement. Pull up the stakes. God wants you and I to pull the stakes and go forward. I don't want you to miss a couple of these thoughts for just a second. These struck me as I was thinking through these things, and God put them on my heart to put in here. Some people have camped they've been camped out too long on hurt feelings. It's time to pull up the stakes. You've been hurt before. I've been hurt before. God wants us to move on now. Some have been camped out in a place of anger. We've been there too long. God's saying it's time to pull up the stakes. It's time to move on. Some folks have been camped out in a place of depression, discouragement. You've been there a long time too long. It's time to move out. I'm going to get very personal with you this morning for just a second. Your pastor deals with depression sometimes, discouragement. A lot of times I don't even know what it's about, but there's an oppression. But I realize, you know where that comes from? It doesn't come from our Father. It comes from the enemy. The enemy doesn't want us to be living in victory. He wants us to be discouraged about some circumstance. He wants us to be circ- uh, uh, discouraged about something that's not going according to what I think it should go. Something I don't understand. Remember we talked about doubt last week? Where does doubt come from? It comes from a confrontation of the unknown. I don't know how this is going to happen now. I don't know how this is going to go. But if you're dealing with depression, you need to realize it's not coming from God. What can I do? I need to immediately set my affections on Him. How do I do that? Get into His holy word. Begin praying, God, remove me from this. I can't tell you how many through the years of people I've seen that are dealing with depression by abusing some sort of substance. That might give them a temporary relief because it puts them out of their mind for a few minutes. But that's not the relief that we need in our life. We need God to show up and show off in our lives. We need Him to show us the future. We need to realize that, hey, I'm just passing through this world. But I got so many blessings. I got a life in Jesus Christ. Here's another one. Some people camp out in a place of unforgiveness. We've been there too long. It's time to pull up the stakes. I told you I'm getting personal. I deal with this too. I'm telling you a couple of these things this morning because I don't want you thinking the pastor is walking above this stuff. I deal with the same things you do. I'm a human being. I'm a man. I have all the same issues you do. I've had some victory in some of the issues maybe you're struggling with, but I'm dealing with other issues that maybe you're not struggling with. But I want you to realize that we're all in this together. This is the family. Amy and I have laughed with you. We've cried with you. We still continue to do that. Why? Because it's personal. It's very personal. And your pastor deals with some of these same things that you deal with. 
And it's tough. It's tough. Why do I have problems with unforgiveness? Because sometimes people do things to me that bother me. Maybe it's the same thing with you. Maybe people have let me down. Maybe they've let you down. There's all kinds of reasons that we kind of end up kind of building up maybe a, a resentment or, a, or hopefully not a bitterness towards people. But really, I look at myself and realize I'm a flawed person. But I also like to think I'm, I'm a likable person. You probably think the same thing. You know where we need to go, though, with some of these things as far as camping out? We need to realize, okay, I'm going to look in the mirror for a while here and I kind of figure some of these things out. Why? Why did your pastor want to figure them out? Because I don't want to keep carrying these things. How do I walk through life carrying this big bag of rocks that Jesus Christ said, I died upon that cross so you don't have to carry those things. You don't have to hold on to these things. Some are camped out in a place of laziness. That's an issue right now too. Some are camped out in a place of critical spirit. I've told you many times before, I realize that if I want to have a critical spirit, I don't need to go any further than the mirror in the morning when I get up. And I can show as much criticism in that mirror as anybody can see. God wants to do the impossible. If we're camped out someplace, we're not seeing the glory of God. These are things in our spirit that cause us not to realize God the way he wants us to be realized. They're causing us not to see God the way he desires to be seen. Remember Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus, the blind man outside of Jericho. Jesus Christ was leaving for Jerusalem. This is just days before he got crucified. Bartimaeus was calling out. He knew Jesus was out there. He was a ways off, and he said, Jesus, Jesus, calling loudly. Everybody said, be quiet. Bartimaeus kept yelling louder and louder because he wanted Jesus to come over there. Jesus came over there. Scriptures tells us there was another man there, both blind. Jesus Christ, what do you want me to do? He said, I need my sight. Jesus Christ healed him. How about the woman with the blood disease? Know that story? I've shared it recently. Had the blood disease for 12 years. She realized that Jesus Christ was coming to town and all she wanted to do, she said to herself in her mind, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. She had that much faith. She fought her way through the crowds and touched Jesus' garment and, 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 and healed her. Jesus Christ realized it. He looked around and said, who touched me? The lady said, I did. I want you to realize this. Those men were rebuking Bartimaeus in every way and telling him just to be quiet. Be quiet. Stop doing that. Shut up. Bartimaeus didn't stop. He would have yelled even louder to get Jesus Christ's attention. I want you to think about that woman that had the blood disease, how desperate she was to get over there to touch Jesus Christ. She would have crawled to the dirt to get there. Why? Because she wanted to have that transforming touch of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wants to put us in a position to receive his transforming power. Am I standing, am I sitting in the way of God touching me? I want to be in the path of his transforming power just like those two. God tells the Israelites one thing. He says, go forward. Go forward. I didn't bring you out of here, out here to take you back. That's what some of the Israelites were saying. I'll take us back. Oh, let's go kill Moses. He did this to us. All kinds of things. God's telling them, go forward. I didn't bring you here to take you backwards. He's also saying, I didn't bring you here today to let you sit here forever, to camp out here on the side of the Jordan River. I brought you here to move forward. God told them, this right here is not the land I promised you. I have something so much better for you. Listen very carefully. I believe with all my heart that right where we're at today as individuals but also as a church, this isn't the best God has. God has so much more for us. 
but he's waiting for you and I to get serious and move forward. God's waiting for you and I to say, hey, I'm moving forward. How do we move forward? I'm glad you asked this morning. The second thing I want you to see, look at verse 16. Chapter 14, verse 16 of Exodus. He says, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. God's telling them two things. He says, go forward. Now he's telling Moses, hey, that stick you have in your hand, hold it up. And God said, hey, if you hold that stick up, I'm going to do an amazing thing. Well, it, it begs the question, I wonder if Moses hadn't held out his stick if God would have parted the seas. How do we move forward? A lot of what God wants to do in your life, in my life, a lot of things that God wants to do in the life of church, He's waiting for you and I to what? To hold forward that stick. He's waiting for you to, and I to pick up that stick. What is that? That's an act of faith. That was an act of faith on behalf of Moses' heart. He wanted to move that nation of Israel forward. But God's saying, all you got to do, Moses, is one thing. All you got to do, Adam and Eve, is one thing. Don't eat that apple. He was telling them, listen, just hold up that stick and watch and see what I can do. See what I will do. What he asked you and I to do is kind of like with Moses. It's usually not that big a deal. It's usually not a huge thing. He's saying, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to do that. I need you to do this. Moses, all he had to do was hold open that stick. You know what God's asking you and I? To hold up that stick. If Moses just held up that stick, God was going to do what he said he did. God was going to do a marvelous work. For God to reveal himself to you and I in our lives, you know what he's waiting for? An act of faith. He's waiting for you and I to do what we already understand the Bible to say. He's going to bless us. But he wants to take us someplace new. He wants to do something even greater in our lives. He wants to do something amazing. He's saying, I want you to go forward. Moses, I want you to hold up that stick and watch what I can do. Why do you say that? God wanted him to see the connection between faith and his power. God wanted to see, have Moses and the entire nation of Israel see there's a there's a connection between him holding up that stick and omnipotent power. He wanted him to see that God is real, but you need to be real as well. You need to be willing to do what God has told you to do. God's waiting to reveal himself in your life and my life. He's waiting to do something marvelous. He's done it over the years in your life. I know that. But you know what? He has something else. He's not finished with us yet. He's telling us, listen, this is not the promised land. We're not finished here. I got something different for you. I got something bigger for you. I got something better. Do you know what it takes? It's not you and I thinking bigger. It's just thinking detailed. What does God's word say to do? Taking the words of God that you know he says in there to do out of the option category and put it into the mandatory category. Put it into the factual category. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stop being angry. I'm going to stop being marginal. Stop being lazy. I'm going to stop being... Defeated, discouraged, stop being unforgiving. I'm going to stop all these things. Because why? Because I'm moving forward. I'm not looking back. Every one of you came here in a car today. In that car, you got a beautiful big windshield, but you also have a rear view mirror. Many times we can get all obsessed with that rear view mirror. It's there for a reason. It's there when we back up to look there, make sure I don't back into somebody or some car. It's there when I'm going down the interstate at 70 miles an hour, make sure I don't smash into somebody sideways because I'm looking back there. 
Well, listen very carefully. That rearview mirror is not meant to be your sole focus, okay? What God put in your car was that big windshield up front there. That I can see where I'm going. I'm going forward. I'm not going backwards. Unfortunately, sometimes in life, because of the enemy, we can get all focused on that rearview mirror. I, want, I just want to keep focused back there because I keep looking back. Well, it hurt a lot, Pastor. Or this was a very hard situation. Or this person did me wrong. Or these things are horrible in my life. You know what God wants? <coughs> God wants to say, okay, I'm leaving those things behind. I'm forgetting, like Paul said in Ephesians 3, I'm forgetting those things behind and I'm pressing on. I'm moving forward. There's too many followers of Jesus Christ in bondage to the past. There's too many people in Jesus Christ bondage so much to the past that they're missing out on picking up their stick and seeing God do something great again. We miss it. God wants to reveal himself. All we need to do is hold out our sticks. Maybe that's taking that first step in something that God's telling you to do. Maybe that's making that first move. Maybe it's stopping that habit you know that's not edifying God. Maybe that's picking up the Bible. You, don't, you haven't picked it up for a while except on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's going to church on a regular basis where I can get encouraged by the people by, in Bible studies and studying together, hearing the Word of God taught and preached. Maybe it's holding that tongue. That's huge. We all have issues there. I've shared with my man and God impressed upon me. One of the greatest things that I can do in my life and men can do in their life to look godly, keep their mouth closed. Just keep my mouth closed. You know, you think that thought, but unfortunately sometimes we have an issue, men, if I think it, it comes out of my mouth automatically. No, it doesn't need to. I'm going to think through these things. God's will many times says to wait, to wait upon the Lord. Amy and I started doing something. We've prayed for, together for years, but we started something two weeks ago and said, let's agree the night before or that morning before we depart and go our separate ways of one thing to pray about. And uh, this last week, many of you know my daughter, Abby. She is the life of a party. She has such an enthusiasm for life and loves it and creative all day long. And she works in a, a senior living home. It's an independent living, but she's the activity director there, so she's always doing great things. But she had a horrible week, just a horrible, horrible week. She got abused a little bit by some upper management and subsequently got fired, but it just made her feel bad. She had a number of other issues that went on. A, um, a man that was precious to her since she's been at this home passed away two weeks ago. The family came in this week and picked up his belongings. And uh, she said it was just hard to see that kind of closure. Abby and I, I mean, Amy and I decided Saturday, our singular focus for prayer today is Abby. Let's just pray for Abby today. This is God. We got a call Saturday, yesterday afternoon. Abby says, Mom and Dad, she didn't know we are praying for her. I had the best day I've ever had here. The worst week, the best day. Who did that? God did that. God did that. We're convinced. She told us all these great things that happened. They brought in a new manager. The new manager saw her in just one day of activity. She said, this is incredible. I've never seen anybody do stuff like this. It's amazing. She's been in the company like 15 years at different residences there. Big national company. God's waiting for you and I just to get serious about picking up that stick. 
He's getting serious for you and I to move forward. Saying, hey, I'm not looking back. I'm pressing on. God wants us to understand and live the connection of our faith with His power. God wants to do something incredible. God's not wanting just to be a Santa Claus every time I need something. He doesn't want to be a spare tire every time I have a need, pull him out of, out of the trunk. The Israelites were between the Red Sea and the Egyptians. It was an impossible situation. Did God know that they were going to experience that? Absolutely. He set it up. Does God know what you're going through right now? Absolutely. He didn't necessarily set it up, but he knows you're going through it. He knew you'd be going through it, and so what's he waiting on? He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to hold up a little stick and to say, I'm going forward. I'm going forward. I'm holding up the stick. I'm wanting to walk in obedience in the things I know I should be obedient in. Let me finish with this thought. Do a Friday Bible study at 7 o'clock. This is an advertisement too, guys. Love to have you on your Friday at Chick-fil-A in Ashland. It's about... 14 or 15 guys there, I think, on a regular basis. And um, Friday morning, we were finishing our Bible study. And uh, probably 10 minutes before we finished our Bible study, we kind of sit over the side there, put a long table, and there's some other table to sit at, but usually people don't sit there because they're right here on top of us, and we don't want to, you know, interfere with that or even listen to it. But I noticed out of the corner of my eye that a young lady went over and sat down there while we're still having this Bible study. I'm thinking that's kind of strange because there's other tables available, but she came and sat there. Well, we're finishing up, and she walks over to the table and says, may I say something? Her name was Beth. And she begins sharing a story that I became a Christian a while back, but I went away from my faith. And uh, my best friend in Pennsylvania, she was driving from down south someplace, not really sure where, going up to Pennsylvania. You know, what's the likelihood of her stopping at Chick-fil-A on the way from probably North Carolina or South Carolina to Pennsylvania in Ashland? Only God. But anyway, she comes up and talks about this, about how her friend has got terminal cancer right now. And she can barely even talk on the phone, so she decides she wants to go up there. And she said, I don't think my friend's a Christian either. We talk about it, but I don't think she's a Christian. So took the time off from whatever she does, say, I'm going to drive up there. As she's sharing this testimony, she's saying, as I realized my friend's illness, God brought me back. I went back to God. And I began getting more serious about my faith, even though I'd been a Christian. And she said, I'm going up there. Would you guys pray for me that God might use me to help my friend come to know Christ? And so we were honored to do that. But I want you to think about this. We talked about last week. Are there marks of the cross on you? The marks of Calvary on you? Do people see something different in you? She saw that there was Bibles open on that table. She saw that there's men sitting around the table, a good number of men. That's a little intimidating for a female. I don't know how old she was, probably 25 years old or so, to walk up to a table full of most probably average age of that table. Uh, Mike's our youngest guy over there. He's just a young fellow, but everybody else, a little older. But uh, he'd walk up to a table like that. But you know what she wanted? She wanted somebody that she felt was close to God to pray for her and her friend. Do people want that in your life? Do they realize that you're closer to God than they are? I don't know that we're closer to God than she was, but she saw that we were men praying and, and reading God's word. God wants you and I to move forward. 
God wants you and I to pick up our stick. I don't know if you've noticed the last few weeks I've kind of departed from Matthew, and I'm going to do it in the coming weeks as here as well. But I want you to see this little picture up on the screen here. Brother Ty's going to put it up there for us. Before I was reading Exodus these last two weeks, I was reading Nehemiah. And I was moved. I taught Nehemiah about a year and a half ago. We preached it here before. But I believe where we're at as a church right now, there's so many great things going on. There's many great things. But there's also some concern. There's also, I believe, maybe uh, a need for us to kind of get refocused and really look to see where God would take us, what God would have us to be about as a church. And so God has kind of spoken to me, I think, in my heart and in my meditations to preach for a few weeks out of Nehemiah, rebuilding the wall. And you know the story, but and I'm so thankful we got our precious visitors here today and met them and their son's name, Nehemiah. Is that awesome? But I want you to know that God has so much more for each one of us individually. There's so much more he wants to do and show us in our life. There's also more he wants to do with the church here. And I'm firmly convinced of that, but also firmly committed to seeing what God would do with us next. And so I'm praying you be there as well.